1 Corinthians chapter 1, last week we finished it, verse 17 says, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross be emptied of its power. There is a way to preach the gospel to where you empty it of its power. And boy, is that a problem in the church today. To where we put emphasis on man's ways, man's schemes, man's wisdoms, and simply just, instead of just relying upon the simple gospel truth to change lives. Now, I think there's a total place for organizing and for, and for uh, you know, and programs and all that stuff. So don't get me wrong, that's not, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that when there is a need, let's say, to grow a church, churches, we, we, men start to gravitate towards the latest and greatest ideas to draw men. And, and the interesting thing is what you draw them with is what you are drawing them to. What you draw people with is what you're drawing them to. Are you drawing them with the simple, simple gospel of Jesus Christ? That Jesus Christ came to die for sinners of which we are all sinners. And that he has made a way to where you and I can avoid the wrath of God that is coming upon sinful man. Through Jesus Christ, he died, he took the brunt of the suffering, he took the the shame, the anguish, everything that we deserved, it was poured out upon him upon the cross. The wrath of God was satisfied in Jesus Christ. He died for my sin, which are grievous and multiple and many, and for yours. And that death satisfied God's wrath. And that is the only way a man can be satisfied from Judgment Day, uh, be saved from Judgment Day, which is coming. And so simple faith in Jesus Christ on the cross, that's it. And that he died and he rose again on the third day. For if he's dead in the ground, what makes him different than any of us? Nothing. But he rose again on the third day. And people say, oh yeah, whatever. History, look at your calendar, look at life, look at the world, how it's been impacted, has been changed over the last thousands of years. People, 500 people testified to that, were witnesses of that. The world was turned upside down because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and is still happening today. And the gospel that, that Paul preached when he came into a city was that you are sinners. <laughs> And Jesus is the Savior. Receive his forgiveness. And you will have eternal life. That's it. Now, to the world standard, you've got you to have the show. You've got to have the carnival. You've got to have the lights. You've got to, you know, what's up? But see, Paul, he chose to not embrace all that stuff and just simply press into the gospel and let it stand for itself. Because if God is working, he's working. If he's not, he's not. I can't manufacture it. If I get people to hope in my charisma, if I get people to hope in my plan, my vision, and all these types of things, then they're going to hope in a man. And that is the recipe for disaster. So Paul says, God did not send me to do all these things. He sent me to preach the gospel, not with human wisdom, not with all these levels of attaining, and so hopefully at the end of your life you have, you have reached like 
you know, level 10, and you are now a teen, now you can get into heaven, now you're a saint. No, it's simply falling down on your face and saying, God, save me, forgive me, I'm a sinner. And his grace comes in, and you're saved by grace. Thank you, Lord. And you receive it, and you walk in it, and you're changed. It's beautiful, and it's powerful, and it's a work of God, not a work of man. Paul embraced that. He lived it. And so he's talking about, you know, look at you guys. Look, look at who you were when God called you. Not many. Now, Paul was one of the many. He was educated. God chooses educated people. But it's much more difficult for people who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven. People who are wise by their own standards to enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus taught this. He's not downing it. He's just saying it's more difficult because you rely upon it instead of the childlike faith in the cross. And so Paul and Apollos were obviously amazing people. And what was happening in the church is they were looking at these two people being used by God and going, I follow Apollos. I follow Paul. Oh, look at them. I like the way he talks. Oh, yeah, well, he does miracles. That's who I'm going to follow. And there was this carnal division within the church based upon human wisdom. And Paul's going to talk here and just to me, he says, hey, you know what you call us? You call us servants. We're under rowers in a big boat, a Roman boat. You had the top level. Remember Ben-Hur? Not many of you. I know I'm going back. (laughs) Charlton Heston, all buff, perfect hair, right? Uh, You know. Under rowers, on the bottom. That's what that word means. We're servants. We're co-laborers. That's who you regard us as. But... In the end, in verse 30, as we read in communion, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, not man's wisdom, God's wisdom. Jesus is that. He's our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption. Therefore, it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We're to boast in the Lord. And now in chapter 2, he says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom. Eloquence meaning uh, superiority of speech. He didn't have all the awesome words, you know, that, that, that they, the Roman, or I mean, the Greek culture was really into. He didn't appeal to them through culture. He didn't appeal to them through culture. Do you understand that? He wasn't using the things of the day going, I'm going to be an eloquent speaker because that's what everybody is, is into. They're into great speakers, orators. That's what they're all into. So I'm going to go be that to try to grab them. Paul says, I specifically did not do that. When I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom. As I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved, I chose to know nothing while I was with you except for Christ Jesus and him crucified. He had just come from Athens. And there's a big debate with among scholars, and I know you really want to know all this, but there's a debate within scholars. Uh, when Paul was in Athens and he was on Mars Hill and he was talking to people, he was appealing to people through nature, he was quoting their philosophers, he was doing all the stuff, and what happened? Was it a church plant? It says that some kind of got saved, one or two, and maybe a couple of other people. And some think that Paul was just disillusioned with trying to reason from them from their own playbook. And, he, and, and, and some think that, you know, no, that he did the right thing. I don't. Either way, 
You walk into this, he walks into Corinth, and what does he do? The city that is this harbor city, the sailor city that is incredibly wealthy, a lot of commerce, all the different gods, everything's coming down, a thousand prostitutes coming down at night to give themselves to all the sailors, anybody who would, meat being sacrificed to idols. I mean, it is a crazy place. And he comes in here and goes, you know what, I'm not going to use the culture to reach you. I'm just going to preach Christ and him crucified. I'm going to preach Jesus. And what a light that was in that city. What darkness was all around, and he just chose. And I believe that's why he took the vow of the Nazarite, and that's just another thing. Remember it says he shaved his head? I think he was just resolved, consecrated, to just simplify his life and focus on the simple message of the gospel. How many of you struggle with sharing your faith? How many of you Look at this and go, wow, I don't have to be eloquent. I don't have to have the world's wisdom. I don't have to know all the facts. I don't have to know all the stuff. I just have to go, oh God, please, just Jesus and him crucified, less of me and let the power be in you. And if you're gonna do something, it's gonna happen. And you just say, Jesus died for your sins. He rose again for the third day. And if you believe upon that with your whole heart, you will have eternal life. And you let it stand and the world will mock you and they'll go, that's silly, that's crazy. And they'll start with all these arguments and you just let it stand. And that seed cast out, if God's gonna have it grow, it'll grow. If that person responds to it, they'll respond. You just trust in the Lord. For it is the power unto salvation. The gospel that takes a whole lot of weight off of us, doesn't it? Amen? Yay! I don't have to be eloquent. I can just be me and share. I gave you, he says, I'm sorry, I jumped a whole chapter ahead. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except for Christ Jesus and Him crucified those 18 months. And I came to you, how did He come? In weakness and with great fear and trembling. Underline that. How many of you feel like when you are coming to, to do God's work, you have weakness and great fear and trembling? Identify with this guy. The Apostle Paul, he came to him with weakness. I have a feeling that that word is where the, it's, it comes from the Greek word, I think, anesthesia, or something close to it. You're just weak. You're, I came with just great weakness and trembling. That's, that word trembling is when they see, like in other verses it says, when they saw Jesus and what he did, they trembled with great fear, wondering who he was. So this is not like, oh, I'm a little scared. He walked in, he was totally undone. He was not trusting in himself. He was not trusting in his ability to communicate. He was not trusting in these things. He was at fear that he was going to get beat up. And remember, Jesus had to appear to him and say, I'm not, you're not going to get beat up in this one. Because every time he went into his new city, it was going to be a rock concert, right? The wrong kind. <laughs> it's bad. I mean, new ways to beat up Paul. This is the name of his band. It was bad. But while I was with you, I, I chose to just preach Christ crucified. I was weak. I was trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. Now notice, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's what I love about the gospel. 
You share Jesus Christ with people and God is speaking to their hearts and the power begins. The power to transform someone from the inside out. If God is speaking to their heart, they have to reckon with it. With Him. It's His words. It's something that happens from the inside out. And as Paul preached Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, people scoffed him and all these things, but those to whom God was allowing to come to him, to those who were, called, were seeking the Lord, what, what happened? The hearts began to change. The power of God was manifest in their life. They responded. How did it happen with you? The crisis, perhaps? I don't know about you, but... I got, you know, came back to the Lord through a time of crisis. Was it because of some incredible intellectual thing or did something just click in your heart? How many of you were fighting it like crazy, going, ah, rah, rah, this is all dumb and blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden it just sat and it started growing. The power of God started to demonstrate itself in your heart, in your life. And that little seed was watered and it became and it grew and it took root and it changed you from the inside out and is changing you and will continue to grow and on into eternity. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I didn't come to you with persuasive words, but the demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not what? Rest in human wisdom, but in God's power. I don't want you to rest in Matt's wisdom. I want you to rest in his word and what he said and what he's doing, the power of God in your life to change. That is what we preach, Christ. Amen? Verse six. Now, many would go, okay, so what am I, what am I, dumb, Christians are all dumb? You're dumb, basically. Okay, we're supposed to, we're allowed to be dumb. If people are going, okay, well, what's with that? And Paul starts to talk, and he starts to say, okay, we do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature. In other words, the wisdom we have doesn't calculate with, with earth people. <laughs> I'm not, okay, you got to bear with me here. It doesn't calculate with people who aren't born again, but with the mature, it does, with those who have been born again. Now, he's going to explain what the mature is a little later. He says, but not with the wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. It doesn't make sense to people of this world who are living, who aren't born again. No, we declare God's wisdom a mystery. God's wisdom is a mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. Paul says, we declare a mystery. God's wisdom is a mystery. It's been hidden, but it was Notice he's jumping here, and this is why I have a fun time with the sovereignty of God, you know? Because what's happening? He says, it was destined for your glory before what? Before time began. What is this mystery that was destined for your glory before, the time, before time began? None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have what? Crucified the Lord of glory. The mystery is the Messiah. The mystery was Jesus Christ. And by the way, it gets better because it goes into the Holy Spirit and the mind of God, and we'll talk about that in a second. 
And what is the powers of the sage they're talking about? If the powers of the sage, if the rulers of the sage had known what they were doing, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they had known the reality that, what he's going to explain here in a second, if they had known that this was God's plan, it was his Messiah, it's his way of redeeming mankind, they wouldn't have done it. And I believe this is why Jesus on the cross said, forgive them for they know not what they do. They have no idea the real ramifications of what they're doing. They don't understand what's happening. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified the the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, we all know this one, what no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. How many of you like to quote that verse about heaven? I have. But verse 10 kind of puts context. These things God has revealed to us by his spirit. They're yours now by the spirit of God. This is not saying that we all have ultimate revelation. Some know more than others, and God reveals more things to others than others as you walk along. But this is the thing. Jesus Christ was hidden in the Old Testament as you look. The mystery, the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. We read in Genesis chapter 3 when you see that the snake in the garden, right, Satan, what happens? He will do what? He'll strike you your heel, but you will crush his head. And that's a little picture of the Messiah. Yeah, you're going cru- to cause him to die, but he will crush your head. And you go on through Scripture, and slowly and slowly and slowly it's being revealed a little bit more and more, and you have pictures and types of Christ and, and prophecies, and all of a sudden you get to Isaiah, and it starts talking real big, sweeping, detailed things about the Messiah. The Psalms are speaking about him on the cross and what he'll say. It just starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until the Messiah is born in Bethlehem, and all these prophecies, all these Messiah, all, all these uh, things about the Messiah hidden throughout time are now revealed and now the revelation of God. God coming down, becoming man, and here he is. The Savior of the world is among us, and there he is, and they crucified him. They killed him. I would have. And he goes, what I, no eye has seen, no ears heard, and no human mind has conceived the things that are prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us by his Spirit. And now he's going to be talking about the Holy Spirit. In other words, you rejected the Messiah. They rejected the Messiah, but what did the Messiah do? When he went up to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit. And he's going to start talking about the Holy Spirit. And he says, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? Now, before we met each other, and I, and I were just to walk up to you, would I know what your favorite color is? Well, maybe by what the clothes you wear, but let's just say, do I know your favorite music? Do I know what you like and dislike? Do I know, uh, you know, your wife's name or your husband's name, all this type of stuff? What, what has to happen in order for me to know that? You would have to reveal it. You know those things, do you not? You know all about yourself. And I know that God knows the deep parts of the heart. I'm just talking about generally, and this is the idea Paul's talking about. You know you. 
And in order for you to express yourself, you would need to communicate that. Your heart, your soul needs to communicate that to someone. And what he's saying is that for a person knows, uh, for who knows a person's thoughts except the own spirit within them. And in the same way, one knows, uh, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. You want to know what God thinks. You want to know what God knows. You have to have the spirit of God. You have to have the spirit of God. And this is what he's driving at. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, not what you had, but the spirit who is from God so that we may understand what God has freely given us. The wisdom of this world is not the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God comes by the spirit of God. And it was hidden throughout the ages, revealed in Christ Jesus, and now the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, is in you. And now you have the mind of God. You can understand the things of God, the wisdom of God, godly things, spiritual things. You didn't have the capacity to do that when you were unsaved, unregenerated, when you didn't have the Spirit of God living in you. You weren't able to know the mind of God, the heart of God, the things of God. If they had known that they would be given the Spirit of God, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But now, God has given His Spirit freely to all who call upon His name. You're born again by His Spirit. You now have God's mind, His heart in you, and you're able to understand the deep things of the Lord. It's been freely given. Verse 13, and this, is what we, and this is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. You're saying we're dumb, but we're not talking dumb things. We're talking about things of the Spirit. And what's interesting is, is this is very important because this dynamic is going on in this room right now. And we're going we're gonna to draw it out in just a second. He goes, we're not talking about things of the world. We're talking about things of the Spirit, words that the Spirit has taught, not human words. We explain spiritual realities with spiritual taught words. Redemption. Justification. What? what, Who cares? The carnal mind says. But the things of the people of the Spirit, the people who are born again, Jesus dying on the cross, that's foolishness. That is Spirit to us. That is something that connects with our very being. Do we have the Spirit of God? Do we, are we able to understand the spiritual things of the Lord? And he goes on. This is what we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words, those, the thoughts of God, Verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. You cannot understand the heart, the mind, the plan of God. When you read the Bible, it's just like, oh my gosh. But when you have the Spirit of God in you, you start reading the Bible, 
You start praying. He starts speaking to you. He starts showing you. starts revealing the deep things of the Lord. A light goes on. How many of you have experienced that? You looked at the Bible before and you just said, oh, what a bunch of, you know, he's filling the word, right? And you just, but then all of a sudden you're born again. The light goes on and you start reading and what happens? It starts speaking to your heart. And the words of Jesus now start applying to what's happening in your life. And you go, wow. And you start applying these spiritual things in your life. For example, Jesus is teaching. He says, guess what? You want to you follow my ways? Then here's some teachings for you. Someone comes up to you and they say to you, hey, pick up my bag and take it a mile. What does Jesus say? Take it too. Human wisdom says, see you later. Not my kingdom, that doesn't work. But God's spirit comes in and says, you know what? That's how my father works. That's how the spirit works. That's the mind of Christ. It's not below me to take it, not just one, but I'll do it too. Why? Because my heart isn't just to satisfy the law. My heart is to witness to you. My heart is love. My heart is to some way through my actions in my life to shine the light of Christ into that circumstance. When your neighbor comes and asks you to borrow stuff, what do you do? Or asks you to lend, do you hold it over them? No. To him who give, asks, give freely. And Jesus goes, Matthew 5, 6, 7, read, read through it. The heart of God, the mind of God, the spirit of God. And Paul's trying to explain to them, you guys are, 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 are tearing each other apart because you're, liking certain leaders in the church and all this stuff, that old stuff is gone. There's a new way of dealing with stuff, and it's through the Spirit. You're not under a leader. You're not all that stuff. You are under Christ. You have all of them. You have, Paul will say in just a a little bit, he says, you have me, I'm yours. Don't say you're you're under me, I'm with you. I'm, you know, Apollos, he's yours. We're all servants of you. Who wants to be an under rower in a boat? Who's fighting for that position? That's what the kingdom of God is like. We're all fighting to serve one another, to better each other's lives. Who's, who, who does that? No, I want to build up so people serve me, right? No, that's not the kingdom of God. How can I serve as many people as possible with the gifts that I've given so that they are lifted up and they are brought forward and their gifts and their talents, you know, all that type of stuff. The kingdom of God is upside down. That's spiritual. That's the mind of God, the heart of God. Man sees it this way, a hierarchy. And and then Jesus, and God says, no, it's a servantarchy. The CEO of the company comes in and disrobes himself and bows down before his disciples and washes their dirty feet. What is that? Has that happened today? What if it did? Yeah, that's, a, that's the Father's kingdom. And Paul's saying, we, ha- we operate on a totally different plane. Our wisdom is not worldly wisdom, but it is wise according to our Father, God's kingdom, and it's good, and it's beautiful. And that's what we preach, that's what we live, that's what I do, and that's what you should do. And Paul's talking to them. So, 
No one knows the heart of God. No one knows the mind of God unless you have the Spirit of God, which has been freely given to you. It's in you, Corinthians. Knock it off. Embrace it. Verse 14, the person without the Spirit doesn't accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. I know this is kind of wordplay, but what he's saying is that you who have the Spirit, you know what both worlds are like. You've been unborn again, and you've been born again. You can make judgments about both worlds. You understand them. You understand what it's like to be ruled by your your flesh. Do you not? I do too. And I also have the mind of the Lord, not because of anything I did, but by his grace, it was freely given to me, and I've been growing in him, and I can make judgments about spiritual things because I have the mind of Christ. You You can too. But the world, they can't make judgments about spiritual things because they don't have the mind of Christ. They can't do it. It's incomprehensible. They can't do it. It's incompatible. You know, it's like the waves going through this room right now. I've talked about this before. There are waves going through this room. And unless you have a certain receiver, you're not able to comprehend them or understand them. You might know that they're there, but you can't understand whatsoever. When the Spirit of Christ When we are born again, when we surrender our lives to the Lord, we are born again. We have a new spirit. And not only are we able to understand the things that are going on here now, but all of a sudden, frequencies, we can now hear the heart and the mind of God as we read his scripture, as we pray, as we hang with one another. God is speaking. He is here. And now we have the ability because the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ is within us. We have the ability to comprehend. Amen? That is awesome. And so... The world can't, it doesn't, it can say all these things, but it has no idea. They're walking in darkness. I walked in darkness. I'm speaking as one who's experienced in walking in darkness, not knocking people who are walking in darkness. The light came to me. I said yes, and the light's turned on. By God's grace, amen. Thank you, Lord. And now this new life we're walking in is called life by the Spirit. And we're no longer operating by based upon operating in the flesh and human wisdom and all these types of things. Now we seek our Father for His way of doing things. How do I handle this situation? How do I handle this job? How do I handle when people make, you know, are not great uh, bosses and I'm under this yoke of slavery, so to speak? How do I act? How do I treat my employees, those who are under me, let's just say, in, in the earthly world? What do we do? We don't operate in this world anymore. Now we get our direction from the king. And we say, this is how it happens. And that's how we make judgments. And they can't judge us, although they try. And so it says there in verse 15, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to mere human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? Who can instruct the Lord? And then I love the next verse, says, but we have the mind of Christ. Awesome. You have the mind of Christ. And that's what Paul's trying to convey to them. Now, in chapter 3, and I'm only going to get a little bit into it, he goes, brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit. we got a problem. You have the mind of Christ. You're people who have the new life, the new Spirit, but guess what? You're not living like it. 
You're living in the old ways. And this was his point. I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. How many of you have the word carnal there? That word carnal is, and worldly is the idea of carnal, carne asada, meat. You're still working in the, you're a meathead. You're working on, <laughs> in the worldly things. You're not with the mind of Christ, you're a meathead. That's basically what he's saying. You're still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk and not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Yet you are still indeed are not ready for it. He spent 18 months of his life preaching and teaching and hanging out with them. The Apostle Paul. I mean, if the Apostle Paul is in town, we're shutting down church and we're going to his place, wherever he's at, right? Amen? 18 months, hanging out with people, discipling all this stuff. And he goes, you were infants by the time I left you. He says, I still want to do that, but you're still infants. Now, how many of you have infants or, or like have grandbabies and all that stuff? Isn't that cool? I love infants. And they're sweet and they coo and they cry and all that stuff. And you change their diaper. Fast forward four years, five years, 10 years, 30 years. Still infants? Is that fun? Changing diapers? Still crying, still me-centered, still operating as if you're a little baby in Christ? You see, there's a time and a season for infancy in Christ, and it is awesome, and we love it. Amen? But we're not to stay there. We're to grow. That's why he says to the mature, I speak wisdom. But the problem is the church doesn't grow up. We stay worldly. And we don't receive the things that God has us. And we stay in these little, and you wonder why churches split. Because they're operating in a carnal thing. There's people in the church that operate within carnality. They're operating not with the mind of Christ, not the unity that he gives. They're operating in these selfish things. And so they gravitate to personalities and people instead of, what does God say about this? <clears throat> They're trying to elevate doctrine and try to grab, gravitate to predestination or, or all this type of stuff instead of, yeah, that's what it teaches, but let's focus together on what the Lord says. Now, obviously, there's right-hand doctrines we don't let go of. Jesus died and he rose again on the third day. And we're not let, we each have a church split over that, okay? But other stuff we can, we can have fun with, right? Real quickly. He says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, you're still infants, mere infants in Christ. How easy was this for Paul to write? That must have been the hardest letter to write to this church and say, you know what, you're a bunch of babies. You're a bunch of babies. And how many of you feel like that? How many of you have to fight that all the time? I do. I mean, this stuff, I follow this and that. You're like, oh, yeah, I'm above it. No, I'm not. I totally, you know, someone else gets glory, and I go, oh, they're stealing my glory. <laughs> someone else is a really good speaker, or a communicator, or a church is thriving, or whatever it is, and it's like, eh, Big baby. We all have it. And Paul says, you know, you're, you're still operating like infants. You're not operating in the mind of Christ. And flip over to Hebrews real quickly. You're not ready for solid food yet, right? You're still not ready. You're still worldly. Why? Because you're still jealous and you're quarreling. Those are signs of infancy, jealousy, quarreling. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to end here. 
<clears throat> Sorry, it's warm in here. Air conditioners drive me crazy. Wah. Praise the Lord, we're not in Vietnam, right? Huddle down, having to do quiet worship and no air conditioning whatsoever. <sighs> Things we complain about. Hebrews 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son, <clears throat> Though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, no, it's, not per, it's complete, the suffering was complete, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obeyed him and was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. And you're, now your mind is going, what in the world is he talking about? And that's exactly Paul's point, verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to make clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still infants, is not acquainted with the teachings about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So who are the mature? People who are in God's word who have learned to discern good and evil. What does the Spirit of God do within you? It shows you what pleases God, what doesn't please God. It shows you how to grow in Christ. This church lacked discernment. They were focusing on to people. They were, foc- they were, they were suing each other. People were sleep. you know, a, a guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. And the church was going, how cool. We're so gracious. We're so, we're so tolerant. And Paul's going, you are, he's just pulling his hair. That's why he's bald. He's pulling his hair out, right? Your babies, kick them out. What are you doing? Why are you letting this stuff go on? Why are you suing each other? You think this glorifies God? And so he goes into this thing. And so he's correcting this church, this church that he loves. And so my encouragement to you is that it's okay to be on milk. And, and I would say to you, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time and, and you've got this quarreling and jealousy and all this stuff going on in your heart, guess what? You're, you're among good company. You've got a lot of people around you who struggle with the same thing. But the, the antidote is more of God's Spirit, more submitting to Jesus Christ and His Lordship, not just going, you know what, this is what the world says about this and this is how it is and these are my rights and blah, blah, blah. That stuff needs to die, and we need to pick up the Word of God and say, Lord, what do you say about this circumstance? And I might be wrong, and Lord, will you come in here and will you show us the way, lead us the way? Church, as we move forward, as we decide what we do with our building, as we, what we do with what ministry looks like, and all this stuff, heads up, because this crud is going to come right up, and we're all going to be pulling at different things, and unless we have the mind of Christ, and that's the, not the mind of Matt, by the way, mind of Christ, and I need to submit to that, and that's hard. Pray for me, right? 
We need the mind of Christ going forward. What are you saying, Lord? What does your word say? Are we going to be a, a, a church that is centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ and fully just put all our eggs in that basket and simply rest on your power and ask for your, your blessing? Or are we going to go through the bells and the whistles and try to get all the, you know, I mean, we need wisdom. We need wisdom and all that. We need, we need to know from his throne. We need to not be pulled by our own desires, but by what he says and what pleases his heart. And that comes by the Spirit of God and that comes through mature people. Mature people meaning you let the word of God come in your heart and you build your life upon what he says, not upon how you feel. Amen? And I know this church is full of wise people and mature people and, we're, and we need you. And for those of you who are new in the Lord, amen. It's, it's, we want to help grow you and I need help growing too. Amen? We'll, we'll get more into this and we'll finish up some things in, in the, next, in the next, next week. I don't want to get too far into chapter 3. But he ends, there he says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. You are still worldly, you're still a meathead. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? But when I say, I, once as I follow Apollos, once as I follow Paul, are you not mere human beings? And he goes, what is Apollos? What is Paul? What, is, what are we? We're under rowers. We're servants saved by grace. Jesus is the big cheese. Give him glory. Lord God, we, we pray today that as we go out of this place that you, by your Spirit, would create a hunger for us to grow and that we would put aside worldly things that perpetuate our infancy. And the enemy just has to keep feeding us these things for us to be stunted in our growth because the cross looks, it hurts. And we don't want pain. But Lord, that's the way to grow is to give up, to suffer, to do something we don't want to do or to choose to do something that is good for us even though it might have temporary hardship. And so Lord, teach us to walk like Jesus walked for the benefit of others, to your glory. And may at the end of our days we be worn out and totally ready to have the next body because not because we've spent our life in revelry and pleasure and self-indulgence, but because we've burned out for the kingdom and in a good way, not just filled with your spirit. Just walking in your grace daily. Lord, for the people here who just need help, meet them in their heart right now. Meet them in their heart. By your spirit, illuminate them. Give them the understanding they need. Help the words of your, of, of your Bible jump off the page. Jesus, speak to your flock. Shepherd them in all sorts of circumstances. We look to you, the one shepherd of this church. And we worship you. We praise you. We adore you. We ask for your help wise, majestic, powerful, faithful Jesus Christ. Help us. Cover us. Feed us.
Lead us by the still waters. Restore our souls. Break our legs if necessary. Put us over your shoulder. Bring us back to the fold. Whatever, whatever you have for us. And Lord, from that, may your love flow to one another and to the world. We ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.